Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, you can still take part in our survey. So it's still available. It's a listener analysis. So it's all about what your opinions are on the podcast. And it's important research that hopefully we will be able to um, feed back to you guys again and to be able to give you the results. So if you haven't had a chance, then you can find the link to the survey on our homepage. Um, it's also available on our social media. So you can get that on Instagram, uh, conversations.equinescience, Facebook, conversations in equine science, or if you follow myself or Nancy on LinkedIn or on Twitter, we've also shared the links there. Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. Kate and I are discussing a paper called Tornado Preparation and response in feedlot cattle. Now, we know this isn't normally a cattle podcast, but we also wanted to include these protocols for horse owners as well. Because when disasters like tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes, flooding, anything like that strikes, a plan and a protocol are necessary in order to handle these situations as best as possible. Now, I did try to find horse research on this, but I just couldn't find any. And I think it's probably tornadoes hit so quickly. They're so unpredictable. And it would be really difficult to have a, a sample set that were all under the same conditions because so many times... Um, you can have a tornado hit one dwelling and then skip over a dwelling that's not even 100 yards away. So they're very, um, the track of a tornado, I think, is highly unpredictable. Um, anyway, having a game plan allows a management team to be proactive, even if the plan isn't perfect. Um, you can plan for your feed your water, your electricity, and even the triage of injured animals. So uh, what do you think of this, Kate? I thought this was really fascinating. And I definitely have the privilege of living in a country where extreme weather isn't um, that common. But obviously, with global warming, it's something that is becoming more common for a lot of countries that wouldn't have experienced it before. So reading this, um, it really just kind of piqued my interest because I kept trying to imagine what it must be like to be a horse owner and a hurricane or a tornado is coming in and you're having to make these decisions. And oh, like it just it can be absolutely heartbreaking. And from the paper, I mean, as Nancy said as well, having a protocol, being prepared is key. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, was they said about um, if you have an evacuation plan, then brilliant. If you have time, I know tornadoes will spring up a lot quicker. But if there's really bad weather coming in and hurricanes are like 
want to say scheduled, but that's definitely not the word, predicted. Um, having an evacuation plan is good, but they were saying it's it's just, it's not always possible because if you wait until the last minute to evacuate, then you could then be stranded in traffic with the horses stuck in the trailer, which is worse again. And if traffic is bumper to bumper, you can't even get them out of that trailer. So one of the big things in this was, you know, sometimes you do have to let your horses free. Um, obviously, you start by leaving them in the paddock if possible, keeping them turned out. Because, Nancy, you had mentioned to me earlier about a lot of barns can't take the force of the wind. Yeah, the the whole barn structure, you know, you want your high ceilings, you want good air ventilation. And I think they recommend uh, air turnover to be four times in 24 hours. So if you have a low ceiling structure with short beams, that's not going to be good air quality for your horses. The urea odors and the ammonia is going to build up. So a lot of us have these long spans of uh, timber uh, supporting our barns. And unfortunately, it, they cannot uh, sustain or be standing in high winds. I think mine's rated for 92 plus. And then you also have to take into account um, aging, how that tends to weaken uh, the structure a little bit. So it's just, you know, some people believe in putting them in and securing them in the stalls. But if you're going to take a direct hit, then you've got the barn collapsing on the animals. And then other people advocate turnout. And then if you do get hit, um, you've got the debris field to deal with. And then as this paper stated, most of the feedlot cattle had lacerations, puncture wounds, and fractures as their main injuries. And we had a bad tornado here. Unfortunately, I live in the Midwest, what's considered Tornado Alley, have never even seen a tornado before. And uh, as well as um, the friend of mine that he passed away at 93, I asked him one time if he had been in a tornado ever with horses. And he said, no, he had not. So hopefully the majority of people have not had this happen to them. But I think it's important to always have a plan. And, you know, when the weather's nice, just talk to your vet have a plan because you're going to have to do triage on the injuries. You're going to have to um, have water for the horses feed. You're going to have to have somewhere to take them if your structure's no longer standing. And um, there's a lot to consider. And I think the day that you're undergoing tornado warnings it is not the time to to be making those plans or just winging it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had a high incidence of possible tornadoes. Schools were closed. Um, the baseball game, the Major League Baseball game was canceled. I mean, it was a little unusual to see school closings. But in the past few years, there have been such strong tornadoes hitting the area that um, I guess now one of the things will be to, to do a school closing when it's 
predicted that we're most likely going, going to see an outbreak of tornadoes. And I think the other weird thing is they travel on the ground for so long because the United States is such an expanse of land that from like Oklahoma, Texas, and across the Midwest, it's so flat. So they just pick up, they get the cold air from Canada, the warm air from the Gulf of Mexico, and then they're just traveling across this flat, open space. And um, that's where you get the ones that travel for 200 miles on the ground. Yeah, and it's just devastating. I think, though, it's hard, like... I, in the past, would always have been a very unorganized person. But if you're living in areas where this is something that is a possibility, even, I mean, there are loads of areas in Ireland that can be subject to flooding unexpectedly too. Um, and that's, you know, another aspect where you're going to have to have a plan in place. But some of the practical tips that were in this article, um, and this article is... Dealing with Severe Weather, Being Prepared Can Save Your Horse's Life by Cynthia McFarland. It's a 2018 Irish film. Um, was first of all, just having your paperwork in order. So have a folder that's easily accessible. Keep it in the same drawer all the time so you're not rooting around looking for it. Have your horse's passports in there. Have their vaccination cards in there. Any relative or relevant paperwork and then have photos of each of your horses. So put a hard copy into this folder, have them on your phone and save them to the cloud because you don't know if your boundaries get destroyed but your farm gets avoided and your horses may have broken loose and you're going to want to be able to have identification and to be able to advertise that they're missing or even just be able to prove that they're yours. Um, microchip your horses, like... If you haven't done that, go do that right now because <laughs> legally you should anyway. Um, but I know sometimes people put off doing it with yearlings and and young foals and it goes on the long finger and all of a sudden like you're past the date you should have done it. Just make sure that's up to date and your details are up to date. Um, so that's kind of all the paperwork side, but I thought that taking the photos was a really good one having hard copies. So uh, like a good selection of photos for each horse and having that on your phone too, just as a backup. What I thought was really interesting too is the writing of the phone numbers on the horses. So getting um herd marker, so the marker you can get for cows and for sheep and actually writing the phone number on the side or on the back of the horse. This is really important because if the horse is particularly spooked after it has managed to survive from this adverse weather event, um, if it won't let anyone approach them, then you can still call the owner. You like If you write that phone number big enough, and I'll try and get a photo to put up on our social media as well. If you get that number big enough, then it can be visualized from far back. So go from the flank the whole way up to the shoulder. And that means that the horse mightn't let anyone near it, but the owner can then get there and you're going to be the best one at calming down the horse and catching it at that point too. Because they did mention some other things like um, permanent marker on the hoof to write your phone number or tying your phone number into the horse's name. But 
this all relies on your horse actually being able to be approached after they've had a significant scare and they're now in a strange place or they're they've you know rocked up to a different farm yeah and uh, also they said fill water containers ahead of time and in case you can't get access to clean water but the whole thing is in a tornado you if you're hit you just don't know if all that is still going to be on your farm or not so many of these farms just look like a bomb went off you know so um it's that probably would be good in like wildfire situation or um, in other disasters. But I think in a tornado, it you just, um, you know, do the best you can. And they're just so unpredictable. It's just you can't say what might happen. But um, they said stock up on feed and hay so you have enough to last a week. But once again, if that gets wet or, you know, gets ruined in the aftermath of the storm, um, you're out of feed then, you know. So I think what I'm going to do is talk to my vet and get a plan in place. And then you just have to go go with that. And at least you do have plans in place for that. Yeah, I think that's even working out sometimes how much feed you need for that case. It's good to just have a chat with your vet. And I think as well, like if it depends on what, how you kind of work visually, but I think just having a really simple, like if it's a little whiteboard or just a piece of paper that you can put in the front of that folder and it says, is it a flood? yes or no, and then what you're going to do. You know, write your plan out. And is it, okay, is it a hurricane or is it severe winds coming in? Yes. Know what your barn can potentially withstand. So say your barn was built to withstand 90 and you think, okay, 60 might be the upper cutoff. Write down 60 miles per hour. Is it above this? Yes. Can you turn them out? Do it. Can you not? No, then let's think, can we evacuate them? Sometimes just writing that on paper because you will have a point where your brain can shut down when that adrenaline hits. And when you start to kind of panic, you kind of see more tunnel vision, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. So just scribbling down a piece of paper of what your plan actually is then it's not you trying to think in the moment and pull together all this information that you may have researched thinking that's putting a protocol in place, but you actually look at a piece of paper. I have five options. Can I do option one? No. Can I do option two and move down the paper? And I think we do this a lot in veterinary um, as well with just having checklists. Like it's, and in human medicine, it's just the best way to avoid disaster where you can so write it down because you just don't know how your brain is going to react under that pressure yeah that's a great point Kate that's about all you can do because the scenarios are going to be different you know so had that tornado in December normally tornadoes are probably from spring to fall but we had one in December that was uh, went from Defiance, Missouri, 
and all the way up through Edwardsville, Illinois. And I would say Edwardsville is probably 30 minutes from where I live. And that tornado hit that Amazon building. And, you know, it just went almost right through the width of that building. And, um, you know, it just came up. But I remember that day, my um, block in my shed row was sweating and it was such an unseasonably warm and moist day that I, I always will remember looking at that shed row thinking this is just not this is not normal, normal. and that then we had a rash of storms I mean I think there were probably three or four tornadoes in the area and um, you know you maybe take notice of things like that so if you notice it again you can begin to prepare and most tornadoes happen between four and nine at night now you do get some that you know don't follow that guideline but most go from four to nine. And I think that's the heat of the day, able to kind of stir up the atmosphere. But uh, another thing is, is the United States used to have a thousand tornadoes a year. Then they bumped it up to 1200 on average. Well, last year we had 1,376. So we do have the most tornadoes of any other country. That's just incredible. Yeah, it is. And, you know, um, there was one in 2013. Um, if people want to Google the OR, O-R-R family farm, they lost 100 horses. And that can show you what the devastation is of a EF5 tornado, which is the highest rating. And it's anything above 201 mile per hour. I think as well, you know, when you're thinking about the devastation it causes, you do also have to think of yourself and put yourself first too. So it's probably important to point out having a protocol as well will mean you're not wasting time. That could be the difference between you managing to evacuate the area or not, if necessary, yourself or your family. So just don't put yourself at risk. Um, if you have to, like, if you have to set the horses free, you have to set the horses free and they'll have the best chance possible running free than they will in any other circumstance. And I know that's a hard decision to make, but equally, once the storm has passed, don't be too quick to run out and survey the damage and check on the horses instantly because you can still have falling debris and things like trees may not have fallen in the storm, but may have been damaged enough that they're just slowly kind of tipping. And, you know, by the time you go out, they're starting to fall over. So be really wary about your health and safety. Yeah. Because nobody can look after the horses that do survive and hopefully they all do. But if you end up getting injured or putting yourself in harm's way, you know, then you hinder both of you. It's that whole putting your oxygen mask on first. Yeah, it is. And you know that people always warn me uh, when we move to our farm is to be careful of the lightning because you're on a flat acreage and you're trying to get horses in or get them to safely and you've got lightning. You're like the tallest thing around. So yeah. 
really have to be careful of that. And then uh, after a storm down power lines can be a real problem. Um, you know, maybe loss of electricity. So you, if you have a generator uh, that you can hook up to maybe run a well or to run some lights or whatever, but uh, that's dependent that it's still there, that it has not been destroyed or, or blown away. So I did look up, Kate, 200 mile per hour winds would be 322 kilometers per hour. Wow. So that's that's the strongest. So the United States has not had an EF five since two thousand thirteen. So it's not like those come in every year. That those happen, you know. Worst case scenario. Yeah, and that was in Oklahoma in two thousand thirteen. Now there was one in two thousand eleven in Joplin, Missouri. So that one, there was just a two-year span before the next one. So we have not had one, though, for um, nine years. So that's, um, you know, that's a good thing. But anyway, I did ask a meteorologist friend um, if it's indicative of climate change. And he said, there's just no way you can say it because it's hard to study tornadoes. They come up so fast their route or their um, path of destruction cannot even be predicted. So he said that makes them very, very difficult to study and to be able to compare one to the other. So he said, um, you know, there's no way to say, all he can say is that Tornado Alley is now encompassing a more populated area than it did in the past. So um, that, you know, that's all they can say definitively. And Nancy, I've asked you this so many times for my own personal reading, and I still haven't read it. But didn't you say there was a book on the horses in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit? Yeah, it's called Horses of the Storm. And that's it's... It. The incredible rescue of Katrina's horses and some of them were like standing up to their chest in water. And the amazing thing is the sole of their hooves had begun to peel away because they did not need um, rock hard hooves to survive in that condition. So, you know, that's like if we have a rainy spell, the horse's hooves get soft. Well, then when it all hardens up and you might go into a drought, yeah, you might get an abscess because they step on a rock or something with soft hooves and then it goes dry. So that hoof is an amazing structure that adapts to the environment and that Horses of the Storm. I think the author is uh, Mortensen is the last name. It's like M-O-R-T-E-N-S-E-N. -E and it's by Eclipse Press. I think you can get it on Amazon. If there's a link to it, I'll definitely uh, put it on our homepage because it's a remarkable book. It was uh, Louisiana State University had a veterinary team that helped rescue all these horses that were just, um, some were loose, some were stuck in stalls, some were set free. I mean, crazy, but it's a good read just to get an idea, maybe what you may have to do um, to have a plan in place. 
it's been on my mental list of books to read, but I'm actually going to write it down now yeah, <laughs> because I've, I don't know how many times in the last year I've asked you the name of that book. Well, I, I think Katrina hit in 2005 or 2006, somewhere around there. And this book came out like a few years later. So it's an older book, but it's such a good read on when these catastrophes happen and how these horses still survive. So, I mean, some didn't, some drowned and, and, you know, they had structures land on them and, and all that, but there were quite a few that made it through. And that's just, it is positive that, you know, there is a chance, even, even in these cases, I mean, that's, I suppose that's why we're, all horse obsessed and fascinated with them because we know some of them um, are very strong willed, particularly the ponies <laughs> and yes. that they do. They just, you know, if they can find a way to survive, they're going to do that because there is so much of their natural instinct still there and present in them. Um, whereas bless my dog, but sometimes I look at her and I think she wouldn't survive a night <laughs> in a residential area. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I did just look it up on Amazon and it is available. So I'll put a link on our uh, homepage in case anybody wants to read it. It, it does say um, it contains a takeaway of tips to prepare horse owners before, during and after a disaster. So I'm going to have to reread it because um, it's been a while since I've read it. But, um, you know, the more prepared you can be, hopefully you won't even ever have to use it. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, that was a really interesting topic for this week, Nancy. Thank you for suggesting it. Well, and definitely gave me a lot of food for thought. Thank you, everyone, um, for tuning in and if you do have any requests then you can contact us on our social media so it's conversations in equine science on facebook and on instagram it's conversations.equinescience and of course you can connect with nancy and myself on linkedin as well okay well thanks so much kate it was fun thanks nancy take care bye bye